Thanks, Katie. Well, good morning, everyone. Well, about eight years ago, a couple in North Carolina were shopping at a thrift store. It was a Goodwill store, and they saw a sweater, a West Point Academy sweater that was on sale for 58 cents. And they bought this sweater. Uh, I don't know if one of them wore it or if it was just something kind of fun to have around the house, this old vintage sweater. I mean, 58 cents. Who cares what they were going to do with it, right? But then one day, uh, later that year, they were watching a documentary on Vince Lombardi the football legend, uh, the greatest football coach of all time, some believe the greatest coach of any American sport. And apparently, as they watched, they learned that Vince Lombardi had been a West Point student. And they saw a picture. Uh, in the documentary, they saw a picture of Vince Lombardi in a sweater just like the one that they had bought for 58 cents. And so this guy, his name is Sean, uh, he turned to his wife, Ricky, and he said, uh, wouldn't it be crazy if the sweater that we bought was Vince Lombardi's sweater? And she said, you know, come to think of it, uh, a name tag has been stitched into that sweater. I've never paid attention to it. Let me go see what it says. And so she went and she pulled the sweater out of the closet. And sure enough, Vince Lombardi. Uh, they contacted the Football Hall of Fame who said, this is an unbelievable find. Would you like to donate this to us? And they said, no, thanks. We'll, uh, we'll just sell it at auction. Uh, an auction house told them they could expect $20,000. $20,000 on their 58-cent purchase. Can I tell you what it sold for? $42,000. It's crazy to think that somebody thought that this sweater was relatively worthless and gave it to Goodwill. Crazy to think that Goodwill sold it for 58 cents. In 2007, a family from New York was visiting a garage sale in their neighborhood, and they came across a ceramic bowl that they thought looked kind of cool, and so they bought it, and they put it over their fireplace on the mantel because it matched some of the other decor in their house. But, but later, it occurred to them that maybe they should research this bowl because it looked kind of authentic, and, and they found some experts who traced this bowl back to the Northern Song Dynasty of China, which was 1,000 years old. Okay. They spent $3 on this bowl. What do you think it sold for at auction? In fact, take a guess. Turn and tell somebody what you think this might have sold for at auction. $2.2 million. $2.2 million. There's only one other bowl like this in the world in a museum in England. All right, one more, one more. 23 years ago, an artist out of Fresno was out hitting local garage sales looking for antiques. And he was looking for a barber chair, hoping to run across one in somebody's yard sale. I've never seen a barber chair in a yard sale, but apparently, maybe in Fresno, that happens all the time. And one day, he came across two deteriorating boxes and he opened them up and he saw that there were glass negatives in these boxes, negatives taken from photos with an old camera. And as he was looking at these negatives, he could tell what he was looking at was Yosemite. He'd spent a lot of time in Yosemite as a younger man. He, he recognized it. He had a fondness for it. And so he went over to the seller who wanted $70 for them, and he negotiated them down to $45. As about two years later, it occurred to the buyer, these could be from Ansel Adams, the father of American photography. The negative plates were authenticated, and you ready? valued at over $200 million. And I love stories like that. I could literally listen to stories like that all day long. 
But the reason I tell you those stories this morning is not so that we can be impressed with the value of those items. I mean, things are valuable in this world. $42,000, 2.2 million, 200 million. Things are valuable. I don't need to tell you there's valuable things in this world. What strikes me about those stories is that somebody thought those valuable things were worthless. $45, three bucks, 58 cents. Somewhere along the line, somebody looked at, at one of those things, something somebody else knew was incredibly valuable, and they discarded it. They forsaked it, if you will. They, they threw it away, they gave it away, they abandoned it, obviously decided it was not worth having anymore. And as we jump into what we're gonna talk about today, I wonder if some of us have felt that kind of discardedness. I have a friend whose wife left him. Uh, one day after many years of being married, she decided she wasn't in love anymore. Turns out she found someone else. And she told her husband, I don't wanna be with you. And, and I could tell my friend all day long, you're valuable, there's somebody else out there, it's gonna work out, but he feels discarded. He feels like he's worth about $45. When I was pastoring in Las Vegas, I became friends with a guy who had been through some pretty hard stuff. Met him at church. Uh, he had seen his share of violence, been in and out of jail, uh, had done some drug dealing. And while he had turned over a new leaf now in his middle age, he couldn't help but feel like his past followed him. And, and he, he would say to me, even just being in church with what I've done, like, like people look at me, they must look at me as if I am pretty worthless. And I could tell them all day long, God loves you. And hey, everybody here has got a past and this is a place of forgiven people. But still, something in him told him he was not worth as much as everybody else. He was a garage sale item worth about $3. I have a friend from college whose story we've told here before. His name is Jay. And Jay and his wife, Brooke, adopted a little girl from China. Uh, they had two sons, but felt very prompted by God to adopt. Uh, Jay had an adopted brother growing up, and they got paired with a little girl in a remote town in China who had been in an orphanage for 22 months. And she had been given up for adoption because she was born with one arm. Uh, her parents, whoever they were, decided that having a girl... And then having a girl with one arm was not going to suit them. And so uh, they left her at an orphanage where she stayed for 22 months. And uh, they've given me permission to tell you, her experience in the orphanage, not so great. Uh, not a lot of people wanting a baby who was going to have a tough road in front of her, missing an arm. And in fact, even the workers, uh, this was a child who did not get much attention. When Brooke picked her up, uh, she did not have enamel on her teeth, which is an indicator of, of extreme malnutrition. Um, she had ligature marks on her ankle, which indicated she had been tied to her crib. And man, if you don't touch or hold or cuddle a baby in those first formative months, 22 months like that, I'll just say, even after you're adopted, it's gotta be easy to grow up wondering about your worth. And a few of those stories are on the more extreme end, but. Can you relate to something in your life, in your past, in your relationships causing you to feel less valuable than what you would have hoped to have been? Maybe that's something related to a parent that you had or a spouse that abandoned you or a friend that is somehow now giving you the cold shoulder, a team that you tried out for and you didn't make a company that you worked for that had to lay people off and what they decided when they decided who was valuable enough to keep was that you would not make the cut. 
And I, I would imagine most of us, if not all of us, have had these moments where we cannot help but question whether we are wanted. We're going to talk about that today. Maybe for some of us, it's, it's not a question of value, like, am I valuable? But you, you wonder if you have a tribe. Is there any place in this world where I fit in? Because I have weird beliefs and values, and I'm complicated. I'm like this stuff, but I don't like this stuff. And, and I don't really fit in with these people, but I don't really fit in with these people either. Some of you feel a good amount of that. You, you've always felt that, like you never quite belong. We're going to speak to that today, too. We're going to speak to the part of you that, that feels discarded sometimes. We're going to speak to the part of you that might feel like you haven't found your tribe. And then finally, I want to speak to the part of you that, that has quite likely been listening to some lies. I, I believe many of us have something lying to us, whispering in our ear, telling us God wants to distance himself from you. And as much as you've heard God loves you, and you can see that on a bumper sticker or read it in a book or hear it from this stage, you have something louder whispering, God loves everyone, but not you, not you. You, he loves a little bit less. You, he's trying to get some separation. In fact, I believe there's a someone who tries to whisper that to all of us, that lie. And today, I want to teach you a very important doctrine in Christianity that speaks to all of those things that settles some of those issues in you once and for all. Now, doctrine is a really funny word. We, we don't use it very often in a good way. Uh, most of the time when you hear the word doctrine, you use it in a, a different word, indoctrination. <laughs> and it's rare that we say the word indoctrination and think of that as a positive thing, right? Indoctrination is when you brainwash people into believing a certain thing and they become completely uncritical of what it is they're hearing. No one wants to be indoctrinated, but don't confuse that with doctrine. Doctrine is a word we use to talk about a belief or a set of beliefs that is so important that it is a core part of a faith system. Like, if you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, that's a doctrine. If you believe there's eternal life waiting for you in heaven, that's doctrine. And, and what I have come to realize is that there is a doctrine that is core to what it means to have a relationship with Jesus that many Christians have missed People who have grown up in church their whole lives somehow missed out on something. They don't know about something that is one of the main things that this faith system is all about. And I want to explain it to you today. And what I'll tell you is this doctrine speaks to that thing in us that feels unwanted, discarded, abandoned. It is something called the doctrine of adoption. When you gave your life to Jesus, if you've given your life to Jesus and received his grace, you made him your leader, you made him your savior, the Bible tells us that you are adopted as a son or a daughter. Now, here's the thing. I have met many Christians who know the language of adoption. They know the phrases. They know the lingo. They might say things like, I'm a child of God, or hey, we're all sons and daughters, or even, hey man, you're my brother in Christ. But many have never really understood what that means on a practical level. And when you do understand that, it is game-changing. And today, I want to make sure you get it. Nobody leaves this room. If you are watching this on YouTube, nobody turns off this YouTube video not knowing what God has done in adopting them. 
And where I want to start with you today is by looking at this idea with you in Scripture. This is Galatians 4. Now, the concept of adoption, we see it in multiple places in the Bible, but this one is special. It, it, it helps us 2,000 years later understand what adoption meant back then. Uh, let me read it to you, and then I'm going to fill in some background that you really need to know, all right? Paul writes to the church at Galatians. He says, what I am saying is that as long as an heir is under age, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. Paul is talking about something in their culture. Uh, I'll explain this in a second. Don't worry if you don't understand it yet. I'll get to it. He's talking about this idea, though, of kids being slaves. But then he, he, he parallels it with us as believers. Take a look at the next line. So also, when we are underage or we're underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had finally come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive, would you read these last three words with me? Adoption to sonship. Adoption to sonship. We are going to talk about that. But let's go back to verses 1 and 2. Paul says in verse 1, if an heir is underage, they are a slave to the estate. What in the world is that all about? Well, there was a fascinating practice back in their culture, in their time, especially in, in the more well-to-do families. If you were a boy growing up in a Roman household, there's a really good chance you were not raised by your parents. In fact, if you were a Roman boy in that culture, there's a good chance you were not even treated like part of the family instead. It wasn't unusual for you as a little boy to be turned over to a guardian at a very young age. A guardian whose job it was to strictly guide you as you grew up. You had to follow all their rules. You had to obey down to the smallest detail. All throughout your day, you would have one of these supervisors looking over your shoulder. They would make sure you followed the rules, do whatever you were told to do, and you would be raised by someone other than your parents. Now, you, you might be asking, where were the parents in all of this? And here's what you need to know. During this time, a son was not really seen as a son. He was considered more like a slave. And so in verse 1, this is what Paul is referencing. As long as an heir is underage, he is no different from a slave. Paul is talking about this practice. Okay, take a look at verse 2. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees who are in charge of them until the time set by his father. While they might be a son, they're not really a son. They're just an heir, and in fact, they are a slave. Um, by the way, this is a good time for me to tell you, this is not prescriptive. This is descriptive. The Bible is not prescribing this to you as a way for you to go raise your kids. Uh, there's a lot of things in the Bible that are, that are there that are not there because you're supposed to go and copy them. They are descriptive of a time and a place that we would be mortified to go do it that way today, right? Anyway, what I want you to see, verses 1 and 2, is even though a son might be an heir, meaning someday that son is going to inherit everything, they were not a son. They were a slave. But a time would come usually around 14 years old, when the son would be released from these guardians and, and released from the strict lifestyle that came with being a slave, and he would be given full rights as a son. He would finally be considered a son. Okay, that process of slave becoming a son, there was a term for that, and here is what it was called. It was referred to as being 
Adoption to sonship. Take a look again at verses three and five. So three to five. So also, when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. He says, we in a way are like those kids who've been in slavery our entire childhoods. And God sent Jesus, born also into that slavery situation, to redeem those under the law, to get us out of it with him so that we might receive, here's the phrase, adoption to sonship. Now, real quick aside, real quick aside. Generally, when I'm reading from the Bible, when I find, when I find a writer say something like, dear brothers, I change it to brothers and sisters because it, it means brothers and sisters. Uh, the Greek word is usually referring to both. And historically, translators just left it brothers and they did not add in sisters, which was a terrible idea and left out women. And I am so glad that most of our modern translations have gone back into their translations and they've put brothers and sisters in that language that includes everyone. Why didn't translators do that here? Why doesn't it say right there that we might receive adoption to sonship and daughtership? Why are they not doing that here? Why am I not doing that right now? Because 2,000 years ago in that culture, the rights of sons were very different than the rights of daughters. Again, descriptive, not prescriptive. Rights were different. And if I were to say to you today, right now, men, when Christ redeemed you from slavery, you were adopted to sonship. Isn't that great? And women, you were adopted to daughtership. If you knew what being a daughter was like in their culture, you might say, no, thank you. I don't want daughtership. In fact, I'll just pass on the whole adoption concept altogether. But here's the beauty of scripture. This is not a passage that was written to just men. All throughout Galatians, Paul writes brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters, this, brothers and sisters, that. These five verses that we're looking at right here, they all are still written to brothers and sisters. And what Paul says here is men and women too. Everyone, you are all redeemed from slave to the status of son. And the reason that the translators didn't change adoption to sonship to be adoption to sonship or daughtership is women, trust me, if you were in their world, you would have wanted sonship instead. And the Bible tells us, women, you are as much heir to the inheritance as anyone. Now, because we live in 2025, I'm going to call you today sons of God and daughters of God. Or even, I'll go generic and just say children of God. Because in 2025, we know that sons, daughters, whatever else you are, you are meaningful. But no matter what you are, if you have made the choice to receive God's grace, you have been given the status of how they treated sons in their world, which is this. Let me show you verse 7. So, you are no longer a slave but God's child. And since you are a child, God has made you also an heir. In fact, what's missing there, it says since you are his child. We forgot that on the slide. You are his child. You may already know the lingo. I'm a child of God. I'm an heir. But let's, let's talk about what this actually means. And, and, and before I explain it, I want to show you this video that my friend Sophia found for us. Come out of hiding, you're safe here with me. I'm Abigail Hydridge. This is Amari. Abigail Hydridge. Good morning. Good morning. You've got your reasons, but I hold your peace. You've been on lockdown. 
down and I hold the key. And do you understand that by the judge signing this final judgment of adoption, you will continue to be a forever family? We do. Yes. Do you understand she can inherit from you? Yes. <laughs> yes. And are you financially able to care for her? Yes, we are. Yes. I'm Amari's brother. I'm Amari's brother. I'm Amari's brother. And um, what is her new name going to be? Amari Elise Hydrich. Amari Elise Hydrich. And you're both asking the judge to sign this final judgment of adoption, making her forever and ever yours and continue to be a friend of the family. Yes. Yes. You're not far from home. Dear Amari, two out of your three years of life have been spent in foster care. In your short life, you have experienced unspeakable hurt and brokenness. And oh, as you run, what hindered love will only become part of the story. And oh, I want you to know that it was never God's desire or heart for you to experience so much pain. Part of the story, you know, as you write. In the same way that He unconditionally loves us, we will unconditionally love you. In the same way He adopted us into His family, we now adopt you into ours. We are so thankful. We are so thankful for you, Amari. You are such an incredible little girl. And we love you so much already. Our prayer for you is that you know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that you are fully known and fully loved by your mother and I, but most importantly by God. God came and walked the earth as a man. He bore our sins on the cross. He paid for our wandering, our selfishness and pride the way we hurt ourselves and other people. God saw us utterly stuck in our brokenness and he didn't leave us there. He entered into our mess and rescued us. He doesn't want you to perform or strive to earn his love. He gives it away to you freely. His love is cleansing, healing, redeeming, strengthening, and it will set you free from this broken world we live in. We pray that you would remain in his love and walk in perfect relationship with Jesus the rest of your life. We love you, Amari, from your mom and dad. I love you, Mommy. <laughs> in that video, but one of my favorites was the part where the judge asks the, the, the parents, do you acknowledge that this little girl will receive your inheritance? Actually, the judge asks, are you able to financially care for her? 
and both parents emotionally say yes. And then the judge asks, do you understand that she can inherit from you? See, one of the things that happens when you are adopted, and, and this is not just now, but this happened back in the time that Galatians was written. When you were adopted, you were given legal standing. And that's what this doctrine means for you. God has given you a new legal standing. What that means is you are his responsibility. Just like that couple is now responsible for Amari, we are God's responsibility. Think about that. Like a parent is responsible to, to take care of their kids. God is responsible for you. He's responsible to take care of you. What we also mean by, by, by legal standing, though, you are an heir. You are set to inherit the kingdom. You are an heir to the king. A few years ago, a guy named Jay Spates took a DNA test, and he found out that he was of royal descent. Uh, funny thing is, he grew up in New Jersey, uh, didn't own a home, rented an apartment, didn't own a car, but, but learned through a DNA test that he, he was a prince. So he decided to reach out to his DNA matches in this small country in Western Africa called Benin. And uh, he let them know that he was going to come for a visit to Benin and, and meet the relatives, so to speak. And when he first got there, he saw what looked like a big festival happening down the street. There were hundreds of people dancing and playing and instruments, and they were singing. But after a few minutes, he realized it was a welcome party for him. They hung up banners. They held a parade uh, because he had no experience princing. They sent him to so-called prince school. His entire life, he didn't realize he was an heir. He was a prince, but had been living as if he was not. Because you are adopted to sonship. Because you are a son or a daughter of the king. What that means is you are royalty. You have legal standing in the kingdom. God is responsible for you, and you are an heir. Now, there's another part of that video I loved. When we got to meet Amari's new twin brothers, wasn't that cute, those two little twins? And, and each of them looked at the judge and, and said, I'm Amari's brother. And this is the next thing being adopted by God means. God has given you a new family. Now, I don't know how you feel about your old family. If they're sitting next to you right now, just you know, let's pretend that you feel great about them. If, if, if you like them, don't worry. When we say this, it doesn't mean you got to throw away your old family. But in addition, you also get God as a loving father. And many of you would say you didn't have a loving father. And you get us as brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, in his book, Identity Matters, there's a Christian author named Terry Wardle. And Terry tells a story from his childhood. Uh, Terry had a hand-me-down, fixed-up, big, blue girls Schwinn bike. Uh, one day, his mom finally let him venture outside his own neighborhood on this bike, and he tells what happened next. He, he writes this, I had broken free of the constraints of my little neighborhood, and now I was on my own to experience a grand adventure. I felt like a somebody, even on a big blue girl Schwinn bike with saddlebags. As I rode, I decided to cross the railroad tracks on a single lane bridge. Little did I know it would become a bridge too far. As I began to cross, four teenage boys stepped onto the far side of the bridge. I intended to pass on by. They had other things in mind. One of the boys grabbed my handlebars and spun my bike to an abrupt stop. Hey, where do you think you're going? He snarled as another boy ch chimed in. Yeah, kid, where are you going? 
Instantly, I knew they intended to beat me up. I was petrified. I couldn't fight or break free to run, so I stood there frozen. Suddenly, one of the bullies asked, what's your name? I answered him in a high-pitched, pre-adolescent, quivering voice, Terry Wardle? The three remaining teenagers got a bit silent, and they looked at one another nervously. Uh, are you related to Tom Wardle? Tom was a much older cousin who happened to play defensive end on the high school football team. But I lied and told them Tom was my brother. They immediately backed off. One of the boys straightened out my shirt and started saying, hey, we were just messing with you, no harm. You're a great kid, and if anybody ever gives you any trouble, you tell us and we'll take care of you. You have been given a new family. And among other things that means, you have people who have your back. You have people with your best interests in mind. You have a father and you have brothers and sisters who whether you know it or not, care deeply about you. And by the way, it's why we do all these meetups around here, all these things, because you have family that you haven't even met yet. And then one more thing that this doctrine means, and maybe this is the most important of all. You saw this moment where the judge asked the parents, what is her new name going to be? And both parents broke into tears and they said her new name. Okay, God has given you a new name. What is the new name? What name did they give her? Well, her new name was just them adding their last name. They gave her their name. And that's, that's what God does for you. Uh, one pastor told the story about a little boy in an orphanage in Texas who was continually passed over by couples for adopting because he had a brain malfunction. Um, he struggled to connect his thoughts with each other. At, at about nine years old, he started to become despondent as one by one. All the other kids were being selected by families and they were leaving. And he began asking, why is no one taking me? Why doesn't anyone choose me? One day, a couple from Texas who had already adopted one child from the orphanage, they called to ask if the second boy that they had met was still there. These parents had just felt prompted over the days following the first adoption to bring him home as well. And so they followed up on that prompting. And, and, and the special part of that whole thing is both boys were, were reunited with each other. Uh, they were housemates at this place. Now they got to play together again as brothers. Anyway, this boy... His actual name is really hard to pronounce, but a very normal name in his native setting. His adoptive parents, while they were waiting for the adoption to be finalized and, and able to get him, they sent him the name they wanted to give him, Anson Josiah, the initials of which were AJ. And he started walking around that home, waiting for his new parents to come for him, telling everybody as he pointed to his chest, you can call me AJ, my name is AJ interesting even with his inability to connect his thoughts he was able to pick up this this redeeming thrill of a relationship and his profound worth as evidenced by his new name god has given you a new name but here's my question for you this morning have you taken it this is one of the things that I wonder if Christians don't quite understand, especially when we start to feel abandoned or like our past has followed us. God has given you a new name. What, what is the new name that he has given you? What is your new name? It's his. He put his name on you. 
Now that doesn't mean I'm Chris Jesus. That's my new last name. It means I'm Chris forgiven. I'm Chris set free. I'm Chris not my past. I'm Chris royalty. I'm Chris his. When you are adopted to sonship or as a daughter, you are given his name. Our identity and value come from his name. I'm not Chris 48 cents. I'm Chris $200 million. And, and I've got a question for you to ask yourself. Have you allowed God to give you a new name? Or better yet, better yet, have you taken his name? I wonder if some of us, we receive Jesus' grace. We, we, we let Christ's death on the cross for our sins, for forgiveness of our sins, apply to our lives, and then we keep our old name. We keep our old identity. Can I tell you, the ceremony that we just watched in that video, there is something about a moment like that. There is something about a moment of recognition. I am this. I am adopted. I am in the family. I am a son or a daughter. And, and do you know what the Bible tells us is that moment of recognition, of saying, I am a child of God? It tells us baptism is that moment. That, that is actually what baptism is meant to be. And some of you have been adopted into the family of God. You are sons, you are daughters, but you have never had the ceremony, that thing we just saw. You've never been baptized. Why is that? I think it's because some of you don't feel like you deserve it. And some of you are afraid to take on the name as if when you do, you will let God down. Or maybe you think, I will do it, but only after I put together a long run of activity that proves I'm a new person, that is when I will take on the name of a new person. Some of you, actually, some of you think, I don't need a ceremony. Lots of reasons we tell ourselves we don't need that thing we saw to feel adopted. But can I tell you what I've noticed as a pastor? I'm thinking you are not ready or that you don't need a ceremony. That's when this thing comes back lying to you. God is distancing himself from you. You're, you're not really part of the family. And the truth is, you did need the ceremony. There's power to the ceremony, and that, that is what baptism is. Your adoption ceremony. One more adoption story. There was a girl who was adopted as an older child from an unspeakably horrific orphanage in another country. And, and when her parents brought her home, one of the things they told her is that she was expected to clean her room every day. Reasonable? You would probably tell your kids the same thing. Here's what happened. Hearing about that responsibility, she fixated on it and saw it as a way to earn her family's love. Because that was life in the orphanage. Follow the rules and you will be treated well. So. Every morning when her parents came into her room, it was immaculate, and she would sit on the bed, and she would say, my room is clean. Can I stay? Do you love me? And her words broke her new parents' hearts. Now, eventually, the girl learned to believe her parents' word, that, that they loved her unconditionally. She was their child. She would never be forsaken. She was not a visitor trying to earn her place in the family. Eventually, eventually, she came to figure that out. But can I say, this is how most of us live. Knowing that we are children of God, loved unconditionally by God, forgiven by God, but not knowing 
that we are children of God. And the ceremony is not just pomp and circumstance. It is so that one day when you forget who you are, when you believe the lies, you will remember you are actually a son or a daughter. You are a child of God. We need the ceremony. One way that you live into this new identity, the family, the legal standing, the name is baptism. When will you take his name? We have a kiosk today in the courtyard if you're interested. It says baptism. Stop by. Jody will be there. She can tell you way more. In fact, we, actually, we have a few baptism dates coming up. Easter is going to be one of those. If you are thinking, maybe it is finally time for me to do that, can I tell you what a cool day to do it Easter Sunday. Derek and the team are going to come sing a song right now. And I imagine, as we've talked about this today, it may have stirred some stuff up for you, hopefully some good things, that God wants to do in you, that you are a person of value. He wants to tell you how much you're worth. And we want to give you some space to just do whatever you need to do with God right now, or even, even just to listen to these words that they sing over you today. So would you bow your heads and, and just pray or, or listen and take a few moments and let this idea of being a child of God, his son, his daughter, would you let this work in you?
want to invite you to stand with us as we uh, end our service together with one more song of worship. Sing who the sun. Who the sun sets free. Who is free indeed. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. Come on, sing this with me. My father's house. In my father's house, yeah, there's a place for me. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. Who am I that the highest king would welcome me? I was lost, but he brought me.
a child of God. Let me hear you. I'm a child of Shout it out. Yes, I am. And one more time. In my father's house. Let me hear you sing it. I'm a child of God. I'm a child. Yes, I am. Amen. We are so glad you made it. Remember, if you want to be baptized, stop at our baptism kiosk in the courtyard. Otherwise than that, have a fantastic Sunday. Have a great week. And we'll see you back here next week, all right? All right, have a good one. Mm -hmm.